0: Today we're going to be talking about preparation, about being prepared and I have to admit when I looked on the calendar and saw that I was preaching on preparation, I was a little taken aback because you probably don't know this about me yet, but if I can find a way to put something off until the last minute, I will find a way to put something off until the last minute. (laughs) Preparation has never been my strong suit. In fact, you know, as I was thinking about the sermon, as I was thinking about being prepared, I was trying to think of what things do I like to prepare for. And really, I could only think of one thing, and it's not even an entirely true statement. (laughs) I really like preparing for travel. Now, I say this, and the caveat is that when I left for Honduras, I woke up at 3:15 in the morning to pack my bags before I left my house at 4. <laughs> so when I say I like to prepare for it, it's more in theory I like to prepare for it. <laughs> because there's something about travel that is just so exciting to me. How many of you like airports? there's actually more hands-up in this service than there have been in any of the other services. But in general, airports are not people's favorite places, but I simply love airports. I love everything about them. The idea that everyone is either coming from somewhere or going somewhere exciting, it just is very exciting to me, that sense of anticipation, that sense of preparation for what's going to come next or what's happening. And so as I was thinking again about this, I really one trip preparation came to mind in particular. Um, this was after I was married to Emmeline. It was approaching our two year anniversary. In fact, we'd celebrate our second anniversary while we were on this trip, but it was going to be my immediate family. So my mom and dad, uh, my brother, sister, Emily, myself, and at the time we only had Michaela. And again, you could probably picture the scene, that kind of early morning departure where everyone's kind of scrambling to make sure that you have all, everything you need, the last-minute um, additions to the suitcase. Some of us are just now packing our suitcase at 4 in the morning again. Um, but in the midst of all of that craziness, there's this sense of excitement, of adventure, of what's going to happen next. The crickets are still chirping outside. The sun hasn't even thought about coming up yet. And I'm carrying some suitcases down to the car, and I call out to Emelyn, Hey, Emelyn, can you watch Michaela for me? I'm going downstairs. And as I get to the suitcases to the front door, I realize that I never heard a response from Emelyn. So I turn back to the stairs, and as I take a couple steps that direction, I hear, ka Kothump! and I turn the corner on the stairs and there's Michaela somersaulting down the stairs. I catch her before she gets down to the tile, but I immediately think to myself, you know, if we were a little more prepared, this might be a little easier. (laughs) And that doesn't even finish the story. We barely made it on that plane. I promise you that my mom and dad and brother and sister probably only made it 30 seconds before the door closed. Emma and I were there a solid 10 minutes before, so really, we were on time. But preparation can be a really good thing, right? It can help prevent a lot of conflicts that would otherwise arise. And so that kind of got me thinking, what are other things that we prepare for? And I thought that I would turn that over to you guys because undoubtedly you guys are probably better at preparing in advance than I am. So what are some things that we prepare for? What are some things we prepare for? Meals? This is why, if it's my turn to cook, the meal is very, very simple. (laughs) Because in order to make a really good meal, you've got to be prepared. You've got to have all the ingredients ready. What else do we prepare for? Did I hear Christmas from over here? Ooh, sermons. You won't believe this, but one of the few things that I don't procrastinate on generally are sermons. You have no reason to trust me after everything that I've just said. (laughs) but it is one of the few exceptions. The Honduras mission team is also probably laughing at me right now, but that's okay. We'll ignore that. This is a one-off. <laughs> Christmas is a big one, right? Really, that's what this whole Advent season is about. We're preparing for Christmas. It's actually really nice. I got back from Honduras. I came into the church. There's a giant Christmas tree in the middle of the narthex. I come into the sanctuary. There's Christmas trees up front, reeds, it's beautiful. I'm like, why didn't this happen in my house? Where's my Christmas spirit? <laughs> that's right I was going to do that before I left but I put it off to the last minute so it didn't happen all right no but we prepare for Christmas right we make sure that we have all the gifts that we need for all the right people we make sure we know who's coming into town who's going out of town when it's happening where they're staying we make sure that we know who's going to be there for the Christmas dinner so that way we have enough food prepared we do a lot of preparation during the Christmas season right what's something else we prepare for I missed that, sorry. Birthdays? Yeah, birthdays, holidays of any sort. We're going to try to make sure that we have everything that we need ready. Did, I say, did you say taxes? <laughs> Please don't talk to my accountant about uh, how good I am at preparing for taxes. We don't need to have that discussion. But yeah, there's a lot that goes into that, into preparing for tax season. It helps that my accountant is my uncle. It probably actually hurts because I rely on him too much. Um, What else do we prepare for? Ooh, retirement. Retirement's a big one, right? I have seen so many commercials telling me that age 25, I really need to get ready for age 70. That it's never too early to start preparing for retirement, making sure that I can live the life that I want to live after I stop working. Retirement is a big one. What about a wedding? When I think of preparation, weddings are a big one that come to mind, right? Emily's not sitting there, so we really don't need to talk about who did most of the preparation for our wedding. Um, But you plan for hours and hours. It probably even stretches to weeks of actual time where you're... (laughs) What was that? (laughs) Probably, yeah, see? weeks of time where you're making sure that you have the right caterer, that you have the right flowers, that you have (laughs) the right food, the right cake, the right dress, the right tuxes, over and over and on and on this list of preparation goes. And all of it is for this one day that just kind of whizzes by. It's shocking to me how little I actually remember from that day because you just get so caught up in the moment. That all of that preparation seems like maybe it was a little overboard. But I would say that. (laughs) But as I think about preparation, I also realize that there's some things that maybe we just can never prepare for. When you're sitting in a doctor's office and you hear the word, I always picture it in big red letters. Cancer. I imagine that no amount of preparation really gets you ready for that moment. For the fears, for the worries, for thinking about what comes next. Nothing can really prepare you for it. Or maybe it happens in the middle of the night. Maybe you wake up to someone pounding on your front door, and as you stumble down the stairs, you feel your heart starting to drop. As you look out the window and see red and blue lights whirling wildly in the doorway, and the police officer calmly informs you that someone you love has been in an accident and won't be coming home tonight. Nothing can really prepare you for those moments of tragedy, of shock. And really, as much as we try to prepare even for our deaths, it doesn't matter how healthy we eat, it doesn't matter how much we exercise, it doesn't matter that we have the best doctors, it doesn't matter how much money we store up, Death comes for us all. And there's nothing we can do to stop it, no matter how much we prepare and fight against it. And frankly, we have no say over when it happens. Death is chaos in our lives. Chaos that we simply cannot prepare for. But in the midst of that chaos, I find myself turning to our gospel reading, to what God says in the midst of chaos, to Matthew chapter 3. And here in Matthew chapter 3, we see kind of this larger-than-life persona. Um, John the Baptist, I always kind of picture him with crazy hair and kind of, you know, crazy eyes, you know what I'm talking about? One of those people that's just bigger than life, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, out in the wilderness, preaching with fire and brimstone, calling out to everyone, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You really think about what he says to those Pharisees and Sadducees when they come to him, you brood of vipers, you snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? John I think if we ran into him down by the Menominee River would strike us as a little bit out there as a little bit outside of our control and yet in his story we see order we see God's preparation and in fact in Matthew chapter 3 Matthew points us to that order to that preparation he says this in verse 3 For this John is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. With these words, Matthew is telling us that John the Baptist is not a coincidence. He's not just some random occurrence in the wilderness. Some gust of breeze that people are going out to see, some season. No, this John has been prepared for centuries. In fact, Matthew points us back 700 years before John was born to the words of Isaiah the prophet. And this is what Isaiah writes about John 700 years before he's born. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you see the image that's being painted for us here by the prophet Isaiah? The image that we're supposed to see when we see John the Baptist. Every valley lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. I'll admit that I haven't traveled through Wisconsin as much as I would like yet but I'll go back to my home state, to Kansas. And if you drive from Kansas City west on I-70 out towards Colorado, how many hills do you see? (laughs) Not many. And in the midst of that level plain, how far can you see? For miles and miles uninterrupted. What Isaiah is telling us, what John is preparing is this level field where every obstacle has been removed, where all you can see is Christ. John the Baptist himself understands this perhaps better than anyone. In the Gospel of John, Jesus' disciple, we hear that some of John's the Baptist disciples come to him And they say to him, hey, this Jesus fellow, he's been baptizing people. Are you okay with this, John? Is this all right? And John the Baptist says to them, why are you jealous on my account? I have told you that I am not the Christ. But this Jesus is. And then he says these words that I think should be at the center of the Christian life. I must decrease so that he may increase. I must decrease so that he may increase. Certainly, we see that John is preparing the way. That John is getting everything ready for this Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And really, we can trace this preparation, this plan, back even further than the prophet Isaiah. We can go all the way back to when chaos first entered the world, to right after the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, to Genesis chapter 3. And God utters this promise in the midst of the curse of sin and death. The Lord God said to the serpent, to Satan, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. All the way back to when that chaos first enters we see God placing his order into the world his plan his preparation and nothing can stop that plan as much as the world has raged and warred against it you can see it repeatedly throughout the Old Testament in a Pharaoh who tries to decimate the people of Israel in the book of Esther where an unjust ruler tries to rid the land of the Jews. We see repeated instances where God's plan is attempted to be thwarted and yet God cannot be stopped. And so during this Advent season, we certainly prepare for that coming of Christ, that first coming when he entered into the world, when that plan of God came to fruition at the cross and in the empty tomb. When God's plan of salvation reached its fulfillment, when Christ gave his life for you and for me, we see God's plan at work. But God's plan doesn't stop there. It's actually incredible to think about. God's plan doesn't stop at the empty tomb but God's plan continues into your lives today. In fact, this is one of the last promises that Jesus leaves his disciples with, that he is going to prepare a place for them and for you, and that one day he will return to take us to that beautiful place that is beyond our imagining, that is beyond anything we could prepare for, a place where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain, where there will only be Christ and His saving love and light and order and peace. And really, so as we celebrate Advent, we're not just looking forward to that first coming at Christmas, we're looking forward to that second coming that God continues to prepare us for. I mean, think about how God continues to work in your life today. It starts in baptism. When God brings you into his family, when he places his name upon you, when he makes you his precious child, when he says to you, you are mine, and plants the seeds of faith. God continues to grow and nourish that faith in you. A few moments ago, we together partook of the Lord's Supper. And I want you to think for a moment about the blessing that is spoken after we receive this true bread and wine, this true body and blood. Now this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Strengthen and preserve you in both body and soul until life everlasting. This meal is not just a ritual. It's not just something we do every Sunday because we have to. This meal is one of the means by which God continues to speak into your life, continues to build you up, to strengthen you, to nourish you unto life Everlasting. This meal is greatest than even greater than even the most perfect Thanksgiving turkey. Something that builds us up for the life to come. And frankly, that preparation doesn't just stop here in worship, in preaching, in teaching, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper. No, as we gather together as the body of Christ, we continue to build each other up We continue to push each other onward towards that great and glorious day when Christ returns. We continue to store up treasure that lasts rather than treasure that moth and rust destroy and that thieves thieves can break in and steal. But it goes even beyond just preparing for that day. Because God is also preparing us right now. I'd like to share with you one more passage. I think it's one that we know well as Lutherans. From Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship. The Greek word used there is poema. the word from which we derive our word, poem. Literally, we are God's poems. His artistic creation within this world. And admittedly, sometimes when you go into the modern art exhibition at the museum, it can be hard to tell what purpose that art has but all art serves a purpose it's meant to indicate something to the viewer and this is what paul tells us that our purpose is for we are god's workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. God is literally preparing us for acts of service to the world around us. He is literally reaching into our lives like a potter reaches into clay and shaping us into the vessels that we have been called to be. God is, is preparing us to shine his light in the community. And brothers and sisters, what a beautiful promise that is because like I said, there's things that we simply cannot prepare for. We cannot be prepared for that moment when our best friend calls us and tells us that they've miscarried again. We cannot be prepared for those moments where we're interacting with people who are so broken that they cannot accept the life of Christ in their lives. They refuse to see his saving love. We cannot prepare ourselves for those moments where we see hundreds of children who do not know where their next meal is coming from. But praise be to God, brothers and sisters, that we don't have to because it is the Spirit who prepares us to shine that light, Christ's light, in the midst of darkness. Amen.